Hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Great to have you along with us. I had the occasion to assist at the ordinary form of the Mass this Sunday, the fourth of ordinary time, as it's reckoned in the uh, Novus Ordo calendar. And the reading was the Beatitudes from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And this week I read an article published by Tom Hoops, a fine article on the effect of the Beatitudes on our culture and uh, how they continue to influence our society, even those who do not know just how Christian many of their firmly held beliefs really are. We're going to look at that later on because I think he will articulate for you some things you may know instinctively but may find hard to put into words. And I think that's really valuable. Also, speaking of a culture that doesn't appreciate the dedados to the teachings of Christ, there have been an alarming number of attacks on Catholic churches in the United States, nearly 300 since uh, the year 2020. And we're going to talk about that, the reason why, just briefly later in the program. But to begin, the Holy Gospel for the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12a. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he was seated, his disciples gathered around him. Then he began to teach them as follows. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will have their fill. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted in the cause of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and utter all kinds of calumnies against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Uh, Thus far the words of the Holy Gospel. Uh, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with some words that seem to contradict each other. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. As Scott Hahn once said, with blessings like these, who needs curses? (laughs) But of course, our Lord's words are not contradictory. It's rather that living God's way, living according to his will, contradicts the world. As a Catholic Christian... You have to be ready to say and do things that seem like foolishness to the world. To give when others take, to love when others hate, to help when others abuse. To look to your responsibilities more than uh, to demand your rights. Because by giving up your own way, by giving up your own will in order to serve God and to serve others, you will receive all that God has promised for those who love him. And that's no nonsense. And this is a core Uh, teaching of our good Lord. And so today we are going to, as they say, take a deep dive into the Beatitudes because they announce happiness for those who choose to love and serve the world. It is Christ's formula for happiness. You know, there are ways by which we can live a good Christian life and avoid the false teaching of the world. And we can be happy and holy and pleasing to God if we live according to the Beatitudes which he spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is, to put it in context, it's after he had chosen his 12 apostles, and he wanted to teach them how to do his work of bringing people to God, bringing people into the kingdom. 
So Matthew chapters 5 through 7 record this, the, the wonderful, extraordinary Sermon on the Mount, wherein he teaches us how to pray, how to treat our enemies as well as our friends, how, how to love, uh, how God loves and cares for us, beginning with the Beatitudes, but then continuing with the similes of salt and light, his teaching on divorce and anger and taking oaths and other things, the, the Lord's Prayer, fasting, how to store up treasures in heaven, to ask, seek, and knock, the, the golden rule, and more. But when Jesus finished that Sermon on the Mount, all the way at the end of chapter 7, he said, Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. When the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, but it did not collapse. It had been set solidly on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine but does not act on them will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. I imagine the people who were there and heard these words spoken for the first time. You know, you can, you can see in your mind's eye people looking at each other in surprise and suddenly aware that Jesus' words were the very words of God, that they were in the presence of the greatest teacher of all time. And some of them would have realized, uh, just as some people today hearing his words proclaimed at the Holy Mass realize, that those who love God and live by these words have our Lord's divine assurance that God will help them and give them grace to live out these blessings. And that's important because the Beatitudes especially point out the way to heaven. But there's more. If we live according to the Beatitudes, we shall be happy, not just someday in heaven, like you know, Albert Schweitzer's pie in the sky, but in this world, here and now. That's why we should pray to our Lord that he might help us to understand his teaching and to practice it in our daily lives. Uh, Jesus wants you to trust in God. You remember, he said, unless you become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In the eight Beatitudes, Jesus teaches us how to put our trust in God, uh, the heavenly Father, like, like a child trusts his earthly father. Our Lord promises that our, our, our heavenly Father will reward us in eternity if we live according to his teaching. Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And when we trust in God, we can live as peacefully as a child asleep in bed uh, who trusts in the love of his parents. That, you know, some of the happiest, most contented moments in my life have been looking in on my sleeping children to see them safe and warm and perfectly at peace. And it is a great comfort to think that God sees me that way. So, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Uh, poverty of spirit is what uh, Dom Jean-Pierre de Cassade called abandonment to divine providence. It means to trust in God alone and to turn to him in all your adversities, to accept everything that comes to you as coming from the hand of a loving father. Jesus teaches that we will not, or that we will reach the kingdom of heaven if we are poor in spirit. Like him, we must look to the riches of heaven and not 
for those that pass away. He teaches us that we will only be truly rich if we have God's grace in our soul, because it's his grace that makes our soul holy and pleasing to God. You remember that Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? As Catholic Christians, this must be our first concern, to do God's will before our own. You see, unlike the, the other Beatitudes that promise that we will see God and we will be comforted, those who practice poverty of spirit are told theirs is the kingdom of heaven, here and now, because to do God's will in all things is to experience the kingdom in your own life. Our good Lord gives us grace. The grace is one on the Holy Cross, communicated to us you know, primarily through the sacraments and through prayer. You know, you, you, when you go to confession and ask pardon for your sins, you receive grace in the sacrament of penance. You receive grace when you receive Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, Jesus told us to store up treasures in heaven and not earthly treasures that pass away. Holy Communion is our greatest treasure because when we receive Holy Communion, we receive Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. And we receive his grace when you pray because it's through prayer that you're united to him in love. The church teaches us to pray not just at Mass, but often throughout the day, every day, so that we can draw closer and closer to Jesus and, and to pray especially for his help to be poor in spirit by putting your trust in him, uh, to know that you can do nothing good by yourself, that you need his help to be happy and holy and pleasing to God, that you ask for his grace that you might live like a child of God, and then the kingdom of heaven will be yours. And that's no nonsense. All right, the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This second beatitude promises comfort for those who mourn. And the Fathers of the Church tells us that this is also a reference to a, a certain kind of mourning. <clears throat> when we mourn for our sins, what's called true contrition. Because when you're sorry for your sins, uh, just because they have offended God, not, you know, because of the consequences or, you know, uh, that you are embarrassed or you're, you're afraid of losing heavenly uh, reward. True contrition, perfect contrition, they call it, is being sorry simply because you've offended God. And that perfect contrition can absolve you from your sins. And that's why it's reflected in, in the act of contrition that we make. We say, um, oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended you, you know, because of your just punishments, but most of all, because they offend you, my God, who are all good and deserving of all my love. When we look at a crucifix and see Jesus represented nailed to the cross, we remember that it was our sins, yours and mine, that caused him so much pain. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. More on this and the rest of the Beatitudes on our deep dive into the Beatitudes today on No Nonsense Catholic here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We will be right back with lots more after these messages, so please stay with us.
Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Uh, continuing our deep dive into the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. By being truly contrite uh, for having hurt our Lord so much, asking his help to, to show how truly sorry you are, and by keeping away from sin, you can experience the peace and joy of his comfort by receiving the sacrament of penance regularly. Right? should stay in a state of grace, uh, uh, go to communion uh, often, and regularly do confession. And if you have that kind of sorrow, you can be sure that he'll console you and give you the strength to avoid sin. Jesus will be with you when you're in pain or, or sick or, or sad about something. You know, this beatitude is meant to convince you to take your troubles to our Lord, confident that he will help you. It may sound trite, but Jesus is your dearest friend, and he will console you. Remember, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and find life burdensome, and I will refresh you. When you find things hard to bear, send up a little prayer. All for you, sacred heart of Jesus. Jesus, I trust in you. All right, the third beatitude, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land, or inherit the earth. And this is a a reference to the promised land, the true promised land, the fulfillment of the promised land, which is heaven. Now, meekness is a moral virtue that is opposed to the deadly sin of anger. Meekness is about self-control and patience. It's not about, it isn't weakness, right? And on the contrary, sometimes it takes a great deal of strength, a great deal of resolve not to give in to anger. Alexander the Great killed his best friend in a fit of anger because although he had conquered the world, he never conquered himself. And so the real key to meekness, as with so many things in the spiritual life, is not just patience, but humility. Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and humble, humble of heart, and your souls will find rest. We must follow his example, reach out in prayer, to ask Jesus to teach us how to be humble, like he was during his earthly ministry, because that's how we come into our inheritance of heaven. Meekness means, you know, asking his help to keep the commandments and and to follow his way of life, because he said that only then do we truly love him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. And like the commandments, the, the Beatitudes are not restrictions on our freedom, On the contrary, they are uh, profoundly liberating. They are the key, the the guide to happiness in this life as well as the next. Jesus teaches humility and obedience to the will of God because God is a loving Father who knows and desires only what is best for us. When we obey God, we'll be happy because we'll be like Jesus who was always obedient to the Father and always did his will. And this is tied into the first beatitude uh, and shows forth what brings us to eternal life is also what makes us happy in this life. God helps us to be truly humble by accepting all that happens to us as coming from the hand of our Heavenly Father, who loves us more than anyone else and more than anyone can. Jesus is our model. He teaches us by word and example to be meek, to be patient kind, like a humble child of God, for then we can be certain of heaven as our eternal reward. The fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will have their fill. 
Our Lord said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And if we want to be righteous, right, if we want to be in right relationship with God, that is to be holy, to, to really fulfill the demands of the virtue of justice, uh, by which we owe first and foremost uh, a worship to God, then we have to follow the example of Christ. Because Jesus is the only way to God. I'm going to say that again. I want you to read my lips. Jesus is the only way to God. He's not one way, not the best way, not the preferred way. The only way. Ich bin der Weg. I am the way. If a non-Christian gets to heaven, and we're not consigning everyone to hell, but if a non-Christian gets to heaven, it is by still only by virtue of the merits won by Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no other way. And we must believe in his word because he is the eternal truth. We must come to Christ for grace because all grace and holiness comes from him. And it is you know, primarily communicated to the world through the sacraments and through prayer. Vatican II uh, said that the Lord Jesus, the divine teacher and model of all perfection, preached holiness of life to each and every one of his disciples of every condition. Thus it is evident that all the faithful of Christ, of whatever rank or status, are called to the fullness of the Christian life and to the perfection of charity. That's from the fifth chapter of Lumen Gentium. So what does it mean? That for a Catholic, holiness is not optional. In fact, Vatican II says that the call to holiness is the very foundation of the lay vocation, which is to say, it is God's will for your life. (laughs) And this is not a new idea. Jesus himself said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you really want to be holy, to experience that like a genuine craving, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness— then you can trust that Jesus will give you the grace you need and the strength to cooperate with it. Remember, Jesus wants you to be holy, and he teaches that you will be holy if you do the will of God. Just as he told us uh, to pray to the Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has always done his Father's will and will help us to do the same. He promised to give us all the grace we need through the sacraments and prayer. This beatitude teaches us to really desire that holiness and to be willing to strive with all our strength to cooperate with his grace. So let me ask you, do you hunger to receive him in communion? Do you hunger to receive Holy Communion often? To receive the grace to be kind and pure and obedient and humble Do you want to pray often during the day to to get the help that you need from Jesus in order to be more like him and to be pleasing to the Heavenly Father? If you do, Jesus promises you will be satisfied. And that's no nonsense. The fifth beatitude is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Jesus came to this earth to show us God's mercy by giving his life on the cross to take away our sins, and to open the way to eternal life. He told Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that all who believe in him may not perish, 
but may have eternal life. In this beatitude, he teaches us likewise to be kind and merciful to each other. He said, as often as you did it for one of my least brothers, you did it for me. What does that tell you? Jesus wants you to show mercy. I am a sinner because I have often offended God. I think as a, as a Catholic convert, especially as an adult convert, I feel that most keenly because I know what it's like to live without access to his grace. And yet he's shown such mercy to me by forgiving me my sins, especially in baptism, to have the sins of my former life all, all, all washed away in, in, in a moment. But even more dramatically for me in the sacrament of penance, that he instituted this sacrament knowing that I would fail, knowing that although my, my sins had been washed away, I'd been given this gift beyond price of the forgiveness of my sins that I would very soon betray him. And so when we pray each day, when we ask for God's mercy, we should also ask for his help to be merciful to others and to forgive them when they offend us that we may in turn be forgiven by God for offending him. Remember that Jesus taught us to pray in the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is a plea to be given the grace to show mercy in the same measure that we would like to receive mercy. In the act of love, we declare, I forgive all who have injured me and ask pardon of all whom I have injured. This is is the key to receiving God's forgiveness. The sixth beatitude is, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Uh, in this beatitude, Jesus teaches us that not only are those, uh, not only those who are pure of heart, let's step back. <laughs> in this beatitude, Jesus teaches us that only those who are pure of heart will see God in heaven. It's only by his grace that you can keep your heart uh, clean and uh, pure and clean from sin. Only he can give you the help you need to keep away from what's evil so that your soul may be pleasing to him and that you may remain in his friendship. Uh, this beatitude is the antidote for lust, uh, it's a sin that so engulfs our society, especially through pornography. 400 years ago, uh, our Blessed Lady told Mother Mariana, that uh, in, in our day, you know, uh, after the midpoint of the 20th century and, and beyond, that immorality, sexual immorality, would be like a filthy ocean that, that touches everything, that there would be almost no innocence found in children or modesty in women. In 1959, she appeared again in, here in this country as Our Lady of America, the year that I was born, um, and consequently, the year that the first issue of Playboy magazine was published. Right? And Playboy magazine, that, that, that first issue of Playboy is, is tame by comparison to the kind of hardcore pornography that's available today. I mean, it's tame compared to a lot of what you see on television even. But in 1959 and, and beyond, when I was a boy growing up, I didn't have any access to pornography. That, well, for one thing, there wasn't all that much of it prior to the, the changing the laws in the 1970s. You know, back in the 50s and 60s, they're just... Pornography just, there wasn't any hardcore pornography, or if there was, it was illegal, you know, it was contraband. 
And, you know, uh, on average today, though, kids first, uh, um, and, you know, primarily because of the computer and because of this diabolical rectangle, um, their first access to hardcore pornography comes at around the age of 9 to 11. That's the average, which means that there are kids that are exposed even younger. You know, that, that's the ill effects of uh, sexual immorality and pornography in our society are, you know, I mean, if you're looking for a pandemic, there's a pandemic of sin. And so how can we be victorious over that sin, over the sin of lust? And Jesus tells us, you, you practice the opposing virtue of chastity. You're pure of heart. You make good use of the sacrament of penance. You stay in a state of grace so you can be well disposed to receive Holy Communion frequently. And so you should pray often throughout the day that you be, will be pure of heart and worthy to see God in heaven by cooperating with his grace and doing his will. Yeah, the point again, Jesus wants, to be, wants us to be holy. More on that when we return with lots more No-Nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Continuing our deep dive into the Beatitudes, we see the overarching theme that Jesus wants us to be holy. You know, and many people wring their hands and they're anxious about discerning the will of God for their life. And I submit that his will for you is really not an inscrutable mystery. St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, This is the will of God, your holiness, that you refrain from immorality. Now, that's the New American Bible translation. That's what you would hear if you heard this verse read at Mass. Um, and it's a little vague. The New Catholic Bible, for a modern translation, uh, is, I think, superior because it's more explicit. It says, It is the will of God that you should lead a life of sanctity. You must refrain from sexual immorality. See, the, the New Catholic Bible uses that more technical term, sanctification, which is the process of becoming holy, and says explicitly what form of immorality St. Paul has in mind. You must refrain from sexual immorality. So there it is. Jesus wants you to be single-hearted by seeking God in everything you do, by doing all for the love of him, to ask for the grace to love God with all your heart and soul and to love others for his sake. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. You will live in my love if you keep my commandments even as I have kept my Father's commandments and live in his love. In other words, we live in the love of Jesus by doing his will. It's as simple as that. The seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When Jesus was born, the angels sang in heaven, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men of good will. By his death on the cross, he made up for our sins and brought us the peace of being God's children. He made peace between God and man, between God and you and I. Me, I should say grammatically. He's the savior of the world. He's the prince of peace. He's the true peacemaker. So what does that mean for us? You know, to be imitators of Christ, we must seek peace. 
Jesus can make you a peacemaker. He can guide your actions in the way of peace. At the Last Supper, he said to the apostles, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives it do I give you. Jesus gives us the peace the world cannot give. His grace helps us to be at peace with God, at peace with ourselves, and at peace with the people around us. At every Holy Mass, we pray for peace in the church and in the world. Christ's peace isn't just the absence of conflict. You know, would that people everywhere would live according to his holy laws so that they could live uh, in peace with each other. But there was never a time that we needed God's peace, Christ's peace, more than we do today, when so many are, are dedicated to fomenting envy and hatred and violence. May Jesus keep us close to him so that we can live in his peace as children of God, that peace that transcends understanding. Now, the eighth beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted in the cause of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told his apostles they would have to suffer for his sake. He said, you will suffer in the world, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus gives us the grace to make sacrifices for our faith and to prove our love for him by willing to suffer to save our soul. And we do this especially through the grace of the sacrament of confirmation. In the sacrament, we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promises to help us have courage and be patient in carrying our cross daily because he has overcome the world. In this beatitude, in other words, Jesus asks us to live for him. And that's, you know, I think that's an important thing to, to understand. I, so many people think, you know, we, we, we look with such great respect and give such honor to the martyr, martyrs, those who were willing to die for him. But it's also, uh, you know, um, a real accomplishment to, to live for him. He gave his life for you and for me. He, he loved us that much. And that alone should make you want to live your life for him as a child of God, as, as a true Catholic Christian, and to remember to pray for the many Christians who are suffering violent persecution for their faith in many parts of the world. You know, may Christ grant them his courage and strength that they can, you know, not be afraid because he's always with them and to help them prove their love for him. You know, the persecution of Christians in general and Catholics in particular are ramping up in this world and right here at home. And we'll talk about that uh, in some detail later. And so, I, you know, it's my prayer that, that uh, we, you and I, and those that we love, deserve the great reward that Jesus promised to those who suffer for his honor. Because to see him forever in heaven is our greatest reward. But there's more. This last beatitude is a bookend with the first. Whereas, as I mentioned before, all the others promise they will be comforted, they will be satisfied, they will see God, etc. The promise of the first and the eighth beatitudes is in the present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of God, here and now. And in the next verse, Jesus doubles down on the last beatitude when he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and utter all kinds of calumnies against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. In the same manner, they persecuted the prophets who preceded you. Now, that, that last part of the verse is left out of the pericope at Mass, but, but um, you know, he tells us 
that suffering persecution is a participation in the kingdom here and now brings a great reward in heaven by comparing us to the prophets of old. You know, I'm, I sometimes I think that the, uh, the persecution that I suffer is one of the few things that I have in common with the prophets, but it counts. You know, long before, say, COVID-19 came along, I know that caused a great deal of suffering. But there was plenty of reason to, to already to bang the drum um, regarding the truth that suffering is good for both the sinners and the just. Because it gives sinners an opportunity to repent. And it gives the just an opportunity for greater merit. Everyone suffers. But Catholics understand the meaning of suffering. They understand that suffering can be redemptive. St. Paul says in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, I find great joy at present suffering for you. And in my own body, I am completing the sufferings that still must be undergone by Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Okay, this uh, verse has caused a lot of consternation over the centuries. So first off, nothing's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Okay, in the, nor is there some predetermined amount of suffering that has to be paid by the faithful. Christ's suffering was more than sufficient for the redemption of the world, and to think otherwise is a heresy. But while the merits of Christ are infinite, the faithful do acquire merit in a limited degree. Because in the church, believers uh, form a single reality with Christ, a mystical reality. He's the head, we are the body, that is the mystical body of Christ. Christ the head and the church his body are one mystical person. And so in our sufferings, we participate in his paschal mystery of death and resurrection through our trials and our sufferings. And persecution is a special kind of suffering. And persecution for the sake of Jesus is a suffering reserved for the faithful. And so Jesus says rejoice in persecution when we're persecuted for his sake. You know, and there are several benefits that we derive from being persecuted. You know, first off, it takes our eyes off earthly rewards. It strips away our superficial faith. And at the same time, persecution strengthens the faith of those who endure. Remember that Jesus said those who persevere to the end will be saved. And finally, when you display, uh, sorry, rented lips, when you display a proper attitude through persecution, you serve as an example for others to follow. Jesus mentioned the prophets who came before us, and we can take comfort in the fact that the, the greatest prophets, Elijah, Jeremiah, Daniel, were persecuted. The very fact that we are being persecuted too proves that we've been faithful. It's an honor to follow the saints who went before us and, and understand that we will join them by being received by God into everlasting dwellings where there is no more persecution or, or suffering of any kind, where every tear is wiped away and all things are made new. This is the good news. Now, there are at least five ways to experience the Beatitudes in your life. Uh, you can look at it as an ethical code for true disciples of Christ, you know, a standard of conduct for his followers, uh, or as a contrast between the eternal values of the kingdom and the, the temporary values of the world or as a contrast of the superficial faith of the, the self-righteous or pharisaical who are hypocrites, mere actors playing the part of righteous people, and the real faith that is demanded of the followers of Christ. 
or as an example of how the expectations of the Old Covenant are fulfilled in the New Covenant kingdom of Jesus. And finally, like the commandments of God, the precepts of the Church, the Beatitudes are not optional. They're not multiple choice. You know, take what you like and leave the rest. They must be taken together as a whole, for they describe what we should be like as followers of Christ, which is a guide to holiness, which is God's will for you, and the key to real happiness both in this life and in the next. All right, uh, to review what we said about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It means to trust in God alone and turn to him in your adversities. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It means to have true contrition for our sins and seek peace with God in the sacrament of penance. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It means to practice self-control, confident of our divine Lord's assistant and of our heavenly reward. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will have their fill. It means to do only what's right in the eyes of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. It means to practice forgiveness so that we may be forgiven. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will be called children of God. It means to keep peace with others and to offer them the peace of Christ, which the world cannot give. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted in the cause of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It means to always be ready to suffer for the Catholic faith in order to enjoy your eternal reward. And that's no nonsense. Speaking of uh, persecution, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on today in the last couple of years when we come back with lots more no-nonsense Catholic. Stay tuned. Welcome back, No Nonsense Catholic. Matthew Arnold here for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We were talking a bit about persecution uh, in the Beatitudes, and I was reminded that back in the year 2020, um, oh, for example, the, after the George Floyd incident, uh, Black Lives Matter activist Sean King called for the destruction of images of Jesus, Mary, and the saints, uh, because those things are connected. Um, after the... Uh, coming repeal of Roe v. Wade was leaked. Uh, pro-abortion groups like Jane's Revenge promised acts of violence against the Catholic Church and Catholic churches and pro-life centers. And according to Catholic Vote, nearly 300 attacks have occurred on Catholic churches in the U.S. since May 28 of 2020, including arson attacks, which damaged or destroyed historic churches, spray painting and graffiti of satanic messages, rocks and bricks thrown through windows, and statues destroyed, often with heads cut off. And that uh, 118 of these attacks occurred since the unprecedented leak of the draft decision that became the historic reversal of Roe v. Wade. Now, on January 24th, a few days ago, uh, our Sunday visitor posted an article by Father Patrick Briscoe called Attacks Against Our Churches Are Bigotry, Pure and Simple. And having experienced uh, two such attacks on his own community, uh, Father, he's a Benedictine, or uh, a Dominican, rather, he said, I have a hard time imagining that such attacks would be tolerated in our country were they committed against synagogues or mosques. But attacks continue to be tolerated against Catholic churches, our ministries to the poor, and pro-life pregnancy centers. A Catholic vote reports that an arrest has been made in only 25% of these cases. And Father Briscoe wonders why it is that so few of these vandals have been prosecuted. 
or maybe even investigated. Uh, you know, when St. Patrick's Cathedral was attacked back on the 1st of January in 2021, Cardinal Dolan said, those who break the law and scrawl their graffiti on a house of worship must also be held accountable for their actions. Uh, Father points out that we're not failing in any of the mandates of the gospel when we demand civil protection for the free exercise of our religion, nor are we faltering in our imitation of Christ when we call for accountability. According to the U.S. bishops, these are not mere property crimes, they are acts of hate. So Father Briscoe says that, that some might think that talking about these acts of vandalism kind of forces the church to adopt a victimized posture, right, to play the victim. But he says, bringing to light the truth, advocating for the preservation of our beloved houses of worship and centers of service is now necessary. Defending our patrimony against cruel and unjust treatment is hardly self-victimization. Instead, we have to articulate calmly, charitably, why our fellow citizens who may well have no love for the church themselves ought to be concerned. Because this is how it starts, and it won't stop with us. You know, I suspect one reason that Father is concerned about the culture shrugging their collective shoulders over attacks on Catholic churches in the U.S. is that he knows as well as you and I do that uh, persecutions of Catholics around the world has escalated far beyond vandalism. It's become commonplace to, to hear about churches around the world being bombed, Catholic priests being murdered, sometimes in, in the most grotesque ways, as well as religious and members of the lay faithful as well. But Father insists that while we call for the defense of our churches and accountability for the perpetrators of vandalism and violence, retaliation is not the answer. In the end, he said, we must do as Jesus asked us to do. We must pray for our enemies, for those who persecute us. For in the end, the love of Christ will heal the wounds of misconception and anger. We should consider ourselves blessed to suffer for the gospel, and we should pray for the grace to suffer patiently. This is how Christ transformed the world. The Beatitudes transformed the Roman Empire, uh, a Roman Empire that was, you know, a pagan empire that was every bit as violent and immoral as our modern world. But with this difference, they didn't have two millennia of Christianity to answer for. And speaking of the Beatitudes transforming the world, uh, Tom Hoops, who is writer-in-residence at Benedictine College in Kansas, says, uh, With a few words on a Galilean mountain to ordinary people in the ancient world, Jesus Christ set world history on an entirely new path. And that's how he begins his article on Tom Holland's new book, Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And although Mr. Holland doesn't explicitly mention the Beatitudes in his book, he does make the point that Jesus' teaching, Jesus' words, changed the lives of billions of both believers and non-believers alike. You know, uh, Mr. Hoops wrote some books on pagan history, on Sparta and Rome, and, uh, and he said he, he was revolted by what he discovered. Uh, and in his new book, he says, it was not just the extremes of callousness that unsettled me, but the complete lack of any sense that the poor or the weak might have the slightest intrinsic value. Why did I find this disturbing? Because in my morals and ethics, I was not a Spartan or a Roman. 
The fact that my belief in God had faded over the course of my teenage years did not mean that I ceased to be a Christian, that is to say, in his worldview. And Mr. Holland notes how the, the heroes of the Iliad had scorned the weak and the downtrodden, and so too the pagan philosophers. The starving deserved no, deserved no sympathy. Beggars were best rounded up and deported. Showing pity risked undermining a wise man's self-control. It was Christianity that changed those attitudes. And Mr. Holland's book tells the history of the church by focusing on prominent figures from St. Paul all the way to J.R.R. Tolkien. In fact, he quotes the, uh, the second reading of the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time, where we just took the Beatitudes from. He quotes that reading to describe St. Paul. In a city famed for its wealth, Paul proclaimed that it was the low and the despised in the world, mere nothings, who ranked first. Among a people who had all, always celebrated the contest to be the best, he announced that God had chosen the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. According to Paul, because of Christ, there's no more of the old distinctions between Jew and Greek. And since our Lord died the death of a slave, there's no longer a distinction between slave and free. It's an absolutely revolutionary concept that changed the face of Western culture. And according to uh, Tom Hoops, who wrote this article, he said, Our day has a unique artistic exemplar of the beatitude, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Pardon me, talking about the deep Christian vision of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. After all, he says, the book is not about a quest for power, but a quest to destroy power. In Tolkien's Christian worldview, true strength manifested itself not in the exercise of power, but in the willingness to give it up. Uh, pardon me. His point is that we live in a world so transformed by the teaching of Jesus that people don't even realize how Christian they really are. Now, apparently, Holland's book gives a, a tragic example of how failing to recognize society's debt to Christianity distorts the picture. Uh, talking about the French satire magazine, Charlie Hedbo. You'll remember uh, the cartoonist at, at Charlie Hedbo had been lampooning our good Lord Jesus Christ and his blessed mother for years without any kind of consequence. But when they ran a series of cartoons uh, satirizing Muhammad, Muslim gunmen retaliated by breaking into their headquarters and shooting down a dozen people. They learned the hard way that the Western tradition that allowed Charlie Hedbo's satire to exist in the first place was the furthest thing from some kind of emancipation from Christianity, but on the contrary, was indelibly a product of it. Holland writes, To imagine otherwise, to imagine that the values of secularism might indeed be timeless values, was, ironically enough, the surest evidence of how deeply Christian they were. Because modern secularism is deeply informed by Christianity, even if unconsciously. Hoops puts it this way, he says, We face the same kinds of people who know a little about the moral order and think they know everything. They judge Christianity according to the world's standards, but fail to notice that the very standards they apply come from Christ. Tom Holland goes as far as to say the culture wars are not really Christianity versus secularism, but different understandings of Christian morality facing off with each other. But he adds, never fear. Jesus Christ, the truth himself, 
is strong enough to triumph even over half-truths. As St. John Chrysostom pointed out, in human terms, it was not possible for fishermen to get the better of philosophers. But that is what happened, by the power of God's grace. And according to Tom Hoops, that's what will happen again when Catholics embrace the Beatitudes. And that's no nonsense. All right, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the Beatitudes. I had a, I had a great time preparing it. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's enlightening, and, and it's a, actually a favorite topic of mine. I've spoken about the Beatitudes many times during the last uh, three years or so of this program and before that on uh, Happy Hour. But it's something that uh, never goes away because it is so foundational, such a core part of our Lord's teaching. And yet many people, as, as he points out, they don't realize the debt that we owe that, uh, you know, in the ancient world, you know, there were hospitals, rather, or there were doctors, physicians, but no hospitals. There were philanthropists, but there were no charities. You know, there, there, were, there were teachers, but there were no universities. All those things came along because of the Catholic Church, because of the you know, society being informed by Christ, and, and really specifically by the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as well. Maybe we'll go into that a bit in the weeks ahead. I do have plans to talk uh, more this year about um, the Bible and about biblical teaching, because it is so foundational to Catholicism, and maybe to, uh, to touch on some things that people wonder about. I just read a terrific book by Dr. Brant Petrie uh, that debunks the claim that the Gospels were written anonymously and then only later associated with the evangelists. Rather like, uh, a lot of his reasoning is rather like my problems with the, uh, the historical critical method in general, especially the multi-source theory of the Gospels and, and more. So we're going to get into that stuff. I do want to remind you also in the last minute here that uh, this March... Uh, 25th, 26th, we're coming up on our annual spiritual warfare conference. All the usual suspects will be there, uh, uh, and including this year, Bishop Joseph Strickland is going to be our special guest. It's going to take place at uh, St. Joseph's in Pomona again. Beautiful church, beautiful venue for uh, our spiritual warfare conference. And I want to encourage you to go to vmpr.org or to call the office at 877 877- Five two six two one five one and pre-register. Don't wait for the day because it always sells out. And uh, if you want to go and be a part of the actual event, which is so different than watching a, a live stream after the fact, uh, then you really do need to register. Uh, and until next time, I just want to say thank you for listening. It's Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. May God richly bless you and your family.